Welcome to Words to Live By, a podcast series hosted by the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation and Institute. Each week, we will share some of the wit and wisdom of Ronald Reagan. In essence, Words to Live By, made up of radio addresses and speeches he delivered from the 1960s through the 1980s. Forty years ago, in the summer of 1983, our 40th president was still in search of effective communication with the Soviet Union. Brezhnev had been unresponsive to his efforts. I felt that if I could get in a room alone with a top Soviet leader, the two of us might be able to reduce the risk of nuclear war. Shortly after I was discharged from the hospital after I was shot in the spring of 1981, I sent a handwritten letter to Leonid Brezhnev, the top Soviet leader, declaring my interest in opening a dialogue between us that would lead to peace. It was what I called quiet diplomacy. I didn't get anywhere with Brezhnev, and before long he died. That was in late 1982, when Brezhnev died after leading the Soviet Union for 18 years. And you may recall, he was replaced by Yuri Andropov, longtime head of the KGB, not exactly a sweetheart. He was the fellow who presided over the crushing of the Hungarian Revolt in 1956. He was identified as an instigator of the expulsion of Alexander Solzhenitsyn and... He was suspected of having given the order for the assassination attempt against Pope John Paul II. Known as a hardliner, it was always believed that Andropov was the architect of the crackdown on Poland. Former President Richard Nixon described Andropov as the most formidable and dangerous adversary of any recent Soviet leader. So, in 1982... Andropov was 71 years old when he became leader of the Soviet Union, but not a well man. When George Shultz met him, he said he looked more like a cadaver than Brezhnev did when he was lying in state in November 1982. Okay, so now let's move into 1983. Described by Stephen Hayward, scholar and author of The Age of Reagan, he said that 1983 was the most dangerous and fateful year in the entire Cold War struggle with Andropov at the helm of the USSR. After much anti-Reagan rhetoric from the Soviet Union, specifically Andropov, President Reagan continued to write to him and told him in a letter, our predecessors have made better progress when communicating privately and candidly. If you wish to engage in such communication, you will find me ready. I await your reply. Well, such was not the case. Then on August 31st, 1983, mid-afternoon Washington time, a Korean Airlines 747, flight 007, en route from New York to Seoul, disappeared from air traffic control radar screens in the Far East. It took air traffic controllers and American intelligence agencies several hours to piece together what had happened. By 10.30 p.m. Eastern time, the unthinkable had occurred. The Soviets had shot the civilian airplane out of the sky. 60 Americans, including an American congressman, were among the 269 passengers. Over the next few weeks, the president had plenty to say. Here then is his first statement to reporters on September 2nd, just two days after the shooting. Now, in the wake of the barbaric act committed yesterday by the Soviet regime, against a commercial jetliner. 
the United States and many other countries of the world made clear and compelling statements that expressed not only our outrage, but also our demand for a truthful accounting of the facts. Our first emotions are anger, disbelief, and profound sadness. While events in Afghanistan and elsewhere have left few illusions about the willingness of the Soviet Union to advance its interests through violence and intimidation, all of us had hoped that certain irreducible standards of civilized behavior nonetheless obtained. But this event shocks the sensibilities of people everywhere. The tradition in the civilized world has always been to offer help to mariners and pilots who are lost or in distress on the sea or in the air. Where human life is valued, extraordinary efforts are extended to preserve and protect it. And it's essential that as civilized societies, we ask searching questions about the nature of regimes where such standards do not apply. So after this statement, the president goes on to ask some really tough questions, questions that really resonate today if we contemplate the invasion of Ukraine. Let's listen. Beyond these emotions, the world notes the stark contrast that exists between Soviet words and deeds. What can we think of a regime that so broadly trumpets its vision of peace and global disarmament, and yet so callously and quickly commits a terrorist act to sacrifice the lives of innocent human beings? What can be said about Soviet credibility when they so flagrantly lie about such a heinous act? What can be the scope of legitimate mutual discourse with a state whose values permit such atrocities? And what are we to make of a regime which establishes one set of standards for itself and another for the rest of humankind? More from the president on the tragedy of Korean airliner 007 right after this brief message. The Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation is the nonprofit organization created by President Reagan himself and specifically charged by him with continuing his legacy and sharing his principles, individual liberty, economic opportunity, global democracy, and national pride. We must remain vigilant and work together to share these conservative principles with younger generations. Your role is critical to move our mission forward Thank you for your continued support. Please visit reaganfoundation.org give. That's reaganfoundation.org give. Now, back to the story. At the time of the flight, on August 31st, the president was at Rancho del Cielo. Bill Clark, who was his national security advisor at the time, he called him with the initial unconfirmed report of the incident. The president, true to form, reacted calmly, telling Clark that the U.S. should be careful not to overreact to what was arguably an atrocity akin to the sinking of the Lusitania in 1915. He told Clark, let's pray it's not true. And the next morning, when he received confirmation, President Reagan headed back to Washington. And the very next day, he again spoke to the American people from the Oval Office. So, so what happened? Why was KAL-007 a sitting duck? Well, it turns out that in the course of its overnight flight, after refueling in Alaska, KAL-007 apparently strayed off course over Soviet territory near military installations on Sakhalin Island. 
Now, how and why KAL007 veered off course remains controversial. In those days, polar routes to the Far East had to take a circuitous southern zigzag to avoid Soviet territory, and this required more jet fuel and added to the length of the flight. Did the Korean pilots deliberately cut corners in an attempt to save time and fuel? Well, it's believed that's unlikely, because in 1978, the Soviets had forced down another Korean airline 747, killing two passengers in the process. Again, so why off course? Well, the leading theory is pilot error, that the pilots misprogrammed the in-flight navigational aids and the autopilot upon taking off from Alaska and never noticed they were off course. Sure, there were conspiracy fellows who say the Soviets confused KAL-007 with an American spy plane. And in fact, there had been an American spy plane codenamed Cobra Ball in the area that night. But U.S. intelligence was able to demonstrate that the Soviets had tracked the Cobra Ball flight and the KAL-007 flight separately. Let's hear the president's address from the Oval Office. My fellow Americans, I must speak to you briefly about the recent act of brutality that continues to horrify us all. I'm referring to the outrageous Soviet attack against 269 people aboard the unarmed Korean passenger plane. This murder of innocent civilians is a serious international issue between the Soviet Union and civilized people everywhere who cherish individual rights and value human life. It is up to all of us, leaders and citizens of the world, to deal with the Soviets in a calm, controlled, but absolutely firm manner. We have joined in this call for an urgent UN Security Council meeting. The evidence is clear. It leaves no doubt. It is time for the Soviets to account. The Soviet Union owes the world the fullest possible explanation and apology for their inexcusable act of brutality. So far, they've flunked the test. Even now, they continue to distort and deny the truth. American intelligence intercepts proved that the Soviets tracked the plane for more than two hours and that the fighter aircraft that finally fired on the 747 observed the plane from a variety of close positions for about 20 minutes. The pilot later claimed that the Soviet airmen were not trained to recognize civilian aircraft, though the 747, with its distinctive hump, is one of the most easily recognized airplanes in the world. And moreover, a Korean plane had its civilian running lights on. Most damning were the intelligence intercepts of the pilot receiving orders from the ground to fire on the plane, which said, Invader has violated state border. Destroy target. It was later learned that the order had been cleared with senior defense officials in Moscow, the head of whom was subsequently promoted. People everywhere can draw only one conclusion from their violent behavior. There is a glaring gap between Soviet words and deeds. They speak endlessly about their love of brotherhood, disarmament, and peace, but they reserve the right to disregard aviation safety and to sacrifice human lives. Make no mistake on this last point. This is not the first time the Soviets have shot at and hit a civilian airliner when it flew over Soviet territory. Our government does not shoot down foreign aircraft over U.S. territory, even though commercial aircraft from the Soviet Union and Cuba have overflown sensitive U.S. military facilities. We and other civilized countries follow procedures to prevent a tragedy rather than to provoke one. 
But while the Soviets accuse others of wanting to return to the Cold War, it's they who have never left it behind. I met with the National Security Council last night. Tomorrow I will meet with congressional leaders of both parties to discuss this issue as well as the situation in Lebanon on which the National Security Council met today. We're determined to move forward and to act in concert both with the Congress and other members of the international community. We must make sure that the fundamental rules of safety of travel are respected by all nations, even the Soviet Union. As I mentioned at the outset, we've watched with horror these past few days as totalitarianism has shown its ghastly face once again. That's why here in America, we must remain a bastion of free men and women working together toward a brighter future. Till next week, thanks for listening, and God bless you. So what did happen? Well, many conservatives criticized Reagan for being too weak. William Sapphire, New York Times columnist, said Reagan had sounded off more fiercely than Theodore Roosevelt and has acted more pusillanimously than Jimmy Carter. George Will wrote, Thank God it's not December or some dunce would suggest dimming the national Christmas tree. So what steps were taken? Let's listen to his radio address on September 17th. This is two and a half weeks after the shooting. My fellow Americans, five days after the Soviets shot down KAL 007, I went on nationwide television to urge that all of us in the civilized world make sure such an atrocity never happens again. And I pledged to you that night we would cooperate with other countries to improve the safety of civil aviation, asking them to join us in not accepting the Soviet airline Aeroflot as a normal member of the international civil air community. Not, that is, until the Soviets satisfy the cries of humanity for justice. On Thursday, an American delegation led by Lynn Helms, who heads up the Federal Aviation Administration, went to Montreal for an emergency session of the ICAO, the International Civil Aviation Organization. This meeting was called at the request of the Republic of Korea, and 32 countries are attending. The group immediately went to work on a resolution to call for an international investigation to deplore this atrocity and to review procedures to prevent civilian aircraft from ever being attacked again. Yesterday, the resolution passed by an overwhelming majority. The Soviets have not budged. Apparently, their contempt for the truth and for the opinion of the civilized world is equaled only by their disdain for helpless people, like the passengers aboard KAL Flight 007. They reserve for themselves the right to live by one set of rules, insisting everyone else live by another. They're supremely confident their crime and cover-up will soon be forgotten, and we'll all be back to business as usual. Well, I believe they're badly mistaken. This case is far from closed. The Soviets' aggression has provoked a fundamental and long-overdue reappraisal in countries all over the globe. The Soviet Union stands virtually alone against the world. Good and decent people everywhere are coming together, and the world's outrage has not diminished. Repercussions such as that emergency ICAO meeting in Montreal are just beginning. Take the example of aviation. Canada suspended Aeroflot landing rights for 60 days and froze the signing of an agreement for Aeroflot refueling at Gander. The Canadian Air Traffic Controllers Association has withdrawn from a long-standing exchange agreement with its Soviet counterpart organization. The AFALPA, that's the International Federation of Airline Pilot Associations, declared the USSR an offending state. It called for its member associations to ban all flights to Moscow for 60 days, and it called on related international unions and professional associations to take similar actions. 
It demanded Soviet guarantees that similar attacks will never be repeated. And what is most encouraging, because it underscores this reappraisal I mentioned, the AFALPA promised to consider further actions against the Soviets if no such guarantees are given. Scandinavian Airlines has suspended flights within Soviet airspace for 60 days. Norwegian pilots and air traffic controllers are boycotting all air service between Norway and the Soviet Union. With the exception of France, Greece, and Turkey, all the NATO nations and Japan have temporarily suspended civil air traffic between their respective nations and the Soviet Union. Even neutral Switzerland and pilots in Finland have joined the general boycott. Australia and New Zealand are also taking strong measures in the area of civil aviation. In the United Nations, the Security Council voted a resolution deploring the Soviet attack, forcing the Soviets to cast their veto to block its adoption. Here, too, we're seeing evidence that a fundamental reappraisal is in the works. Most countries rebuked the Kremlin. Only a few of Moscow's dependables stood up for its defense. Non-aligned nations are looking to the United States for leadership. I've instructed our ambassador to the UN, Jean Kirkpatrick, to sit down with them to seek out new areas of cooperation. In the Congress, both the House and the Senate mobilized overwhelming bipartisan support for a resolution of condemnation. Some would have us lash out in another way, by canceling our grain shipments, but that would punish American farmers, not the Soviet aggressors. The most effective, lasting action against their violence and intimidation, and it's the one action the Soviets would welcome least, will be to go forward with America's program to remain strong. I'm confident that if enough of you at the grassroots make your voices heard, we can and will do just that. We may not be able to change the Soviets' ways, but we can change our attitude toward them. We can stop pretending they share the same dreams and aspirations we do. We can start preparing ourselves for what John F. Kennedy called a long twilight struggle. It won't be quick, it won't make headlines, and it sure won't be easy. But it's what we must do to keep America strong, keep her free, and yes, preserve the peace for our children and for our children's children. This is the most enduring lesson of the Korean Airlines massacre. If we grasp it, then history will say this tragedy was a major turning point because this time the world did not go back to business as usual. Till next week, thanks for listening. God bless you. Thank you for listening. For more information on the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation and Institute, including information on how to become a member, information on upcoming exhibits at the Reagan Library, and more information on the legacy of President Reagan, please visit reaganfoundation.org. And don't forget to like and follow the Reagan Foundation on all social media platforms. Don't forget to subscribe to the Words to Live By podcast in your iTunes or Google Play stores and on other podcast platforms as they become available. New episodes of Words to Live By come out every Tuesday. Like what you hear? Check out our A Reagan Forum podcast, featuring great speeches delivered at the Reagan Library. New episodes drop every Thursday. And don't forget to follow at Ronald Reagan on Facebook, at Ronald Reagan 40 on Twitter, and Reagan Foundation on YouTube. Also, search for us on SoundCloud and Stitcher.